0: So, What's going on in your minds right now? <laughs> some, of you, some of you may know this, but others don't. Yeah. Crazy, I heard. Yeah. What's happening right now in your minds? <laughs> if you were... If you're an observer or a psychologist or a counselor and you say, well, What's going on? I mean, you have thoughts about my, my sanity and thoughts about whether I should just quit. <laughs> but you're also, if you're honest, something else is going on in your mind. Uh, confusion, uh, the brain waves are kind of going this way and that way and this way and that way and this way and that way. What you're experiencing, educational theorists call disequilibrium. Your mind is out of balance because you just experienced something that you don't have a category for doesn't make sense nobody eats candles and candles don't crunch (laughs) so you're trying to figure out okay i have a category in my head called candles doesn't fit there people don't eat them so what do i do with this all right you're experiencing disequilibrium also called cognitive dissonance because your mind, like we all have, and your soul and your spirit, we like things in balance. We don't like being disturbed. For those of you who don't already know, may have any idea what this is? No. No. Baked potato, unbaked, raw. The wick was an almond sliver, which has oil that burns. All right? Soak it in lemon juice overnight so it doesn't turn brown. So it tasted like a raw potato, lemony... Burn almond taste, not very good, all right? <laughs> um, now, that emotion, the cognitive reality, emotional reality, whatever you want to call it, of disequilibrium, is no more real than the story in the Bible we're going to look at today. It's one of those kind of stories in the Bible, one of those accounts in the Bible, where when you read it, if you're honest and you're reading honestly, you want to throw your Bible across the room and say, "I can't figure you out, God. I don't have." Uh, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. There's times in the Old Testament where God wanted people, wanted the Israelites to wipe out whole towns and kill, and those are hard enough. Like, well, eh, eh, you know, you just kind of throw your Bible across the room and say, "I don't get it," because your mind is kind of like, "I God is loving, God is good. Why is He doing that?" All right. We're gonna look at a passage today where. God asks a man, Abraham, to sacrifice his own flesh and blood, his son, to kill him and offer him as a sacrifice to God. And again, if you have any degree of emotional honesty at all, uh, that should cause you incredible disequilibrium because none of us have a category for that kind of God. None of us had a category for that kind of faith that Abraham has. It's like, what do you do with that? It makes no sense it's it it causes all kinds of not just cognitive dissonance spiritual dissonance emotional distance because we're just like "Ah, ah, ah, ah." and so what we tend to do is we try to turn the story into kind of what i call a hallmark story and it has a nice happy ending and but we maybe don't stop and enter the story before the story ends and kind of wrestle with the emotion the spiritual tension and all the of the story all right uh just to remind you we're doing a series uh called stretching way beyond comfort we talk about Exodus. where we want to be stretching beyond comfort stretching way beyond comfort this one is probably a stretching way 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 beyond comfort and it's a scene from indiana jones where he's stepping into a an abyss but a road appears and the whole idea of taking a leap of faith take a step following god in your actions when it doesn't make sense all right so story of abraham he's called when he lives in or kind of modern day iraq Iran. god calls him to a new land says you're going to have this land it's going to be your inheritance and your descendants will populate the land and have this land abraham and sarah have no children at this time when god gives this promise abraham 75 years old all right next slide remember this the lord says to abraham leave your country your relatives your father's family go to the land that i will show you i'll make you a great nation i'll bless you make you famous bless those who bless you curse those who curse you all families there theirs we bless you and again abraham has no children at this point he's 75 years old and the question we've asked from that is is god asking you to take some kind of leap of faith because abraham was asked to leave something behind some things behind relationships uh comfort convenience and to make a major step into the unknown because the bible says he left and he didn't know where he was going God's really good with that, with us. He often causes us to leave, He doesn't give us a map. All right, then the story continued last week where Abraham thought, okay, God, this is maybe 10 years later. Abraham has a servant, Eleazar. It's his, it's his chief servant. And he thought, well, maybe my inheritance and my family line will be carried on through my servant. Because as, as, as we all do, we try to figure out, okay, how might God work this out? Because I don't have a son and he says to god i guess it's going to be through eleazar and god says no 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 it's going to be through your own seed you will have a child abraham's like okay that's good didn't happen for a number of years again sarah has his wife has this bright idea hey why don't you have a child through my maidservant it was a common cultural thing at that time abraham sleeps with a servant named hagar an egyptian woman has a boy named ishmael Abraham thinks this must be the way that God's going to fulfill the promise. And if you remember last week, we talked about waiting. You have to wait. Sometimes God, between, between hearing and responding to God, we have to wait on God. All right? So the question we ask there is, how have you taken a leap of faith in the past? And are you losing hope? Because it's not, God's not, in your mind, God's not pulling through on his end of the deal. All right? So Abraham, get my signs out, I love my signs, all right, I need somebody just for a second. Alan, just hold this here for a second, you can hold it in front of your face if you want people to look at you, but I don't care, and then over here, wrong sign, Uh, I don't know your first name, but what's your first name? Trevor. Trevor, thanks Trevor. We embarrass new people all the time, all right what we like is between hear and respond we like it to be a real simple equation i hear from god i do what he asks me to do i say this thing i give this money i have this right whatever but last week we realized that between hear and respond often god has a big waiting period and we hate that i hate that if you like it you must be a little bit odd (laughs) because none of us like to wait between hearing and responding to god and god fulfilling his promise all right this week what we're going to look at is in the middle between hear and respond that you and i abraham everybody we experience a crisis because usually when god we hear from god and he asks us to respond it's usually something that presses way 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 beyond comfort and convenience so we have this crisis of belief because we realize if i'm going to respond to god i've got this period of crisis where i've got to figure out if i really believe a that god told me that B, that God's good and I'm going to do what he said because I believe he's good. And so we wrestle in this crisis land. All right, you guys can sit down. Let me get my signs back, though. Don't want my So we have this crisis that Abraham's going to be stepped into here because, just like you and I, when we try to hear and respond to God, God often has a waiting period in there or a crisis period. All right? Next slide. Here we go. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah's, Genesis 21. So the story kind of goes on. It's kind of like kind of like 24 you know previously on 24 here we go the lord kept his word and did for sarah exactly what he had promised she became pregnant she gave birth to a son for abraham in his old age abraham and sarah both like abraham's 99 ish 100 years old 25 years after the promise 25 years of waiting for god to fulfill his promise this happened at just the time god had said it would Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after he was born, Abraham circumcised him. God had commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. Remember the story. Sarah laughed when God told her she was going to be pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, really right. But now she's saying, God's brought me laughter. Because in those days, having no children was incredible shame and disgrace. And her disgrace and shame had been removed. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. So you can imagine to some degree the joy, the utter delight that Sarah and Abraham kind of like, whoo, you know, kind of like their grandparent age, but they're having their own their own child. And you imagine the giddiness that comes with all 25 years of waiting, and I mean they probably had the nursery already, how kinds of baby showers for Isaac, whatever they did in those days, I don't know. You know, those kind of things so that's so so right now the story's really great joy you know all kinds of excitement abraham the promise is going to be fulfilled god's god's promised him to give him this land he's got him now near the land and now he has a son and we're good to go end of story so we hope all right here's what happens next sometime later we don't know how long but it was sometime later isaac was obviously old enough to walk on his own and old enough to carry wood So Isaac may have been 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, who knows? Somewhere, he was old enough to walk three days' journey, etc., etc. God tested Abraham's faith, understatement. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering On one of the mountains, which I will show you. Punch in the gut. Just real quick show of hands. How many of you are fathers who have sons? Real quick. Okay, good. Punch in the gut here. I mean, this is a crisis of belief now. We're not just talking uncomfortable, inconvenient, and interruptive. We're talking absurd, irrational, horrifying, distressful, insane. That God's asking Abraham to do. This is a stretch beyond sanity, not just comfort. This is a stretch beyond rationality, not just comfort. And it's a crisis, and Abraham's got to decide, what do I do with that? And often, God gives us those kind of same crises to kind of wrestle with. Um, Let's keep going, and we'll come back to the story in a second. The next morning, the next morning, the very next morning, Abraham got up early. Saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac, chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering, set out for the place God had told him about. Third day of the journey, so it's three days, they're walking to Mount Moriah, right? Abraham, his son, two servants. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Incidentally, Mount Moriah, another part in the Bible, is equated as the same as Mount Zion. It's the place where the temple was originally, uh, uh, the temple was going to be built in Jerusalem. So it's interesting how God uses this kind of, wow, this is interesting. The place of Abraham's test was going to be the, mount of, the mountain of God. All right? Abraham looked up, and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther, we will worship there, and then we, choice of pronoun in Abraham's part, we will come back to you. We will come right back. All right, next part. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. Again, so he must have been of some age to carry something. While he himself carried the fire and the knife, as the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, gut-wrenching conversation, father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? i me mean, just freeze from a moment there in, in Abraham's emotional state right now, trying to respond. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. Go, sorry. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son, bound him up, laid him on the altar, top of the wood, Abraham picked up the knife to kill the son to sacrifice, all right? We're stopping there this week. Don't flash forward. Don't finish the story yet. Live in these three and a half days right now for the next few minutes. Don't flash forward. Don't know how it ends. Don't try to jump and just put it all together like, you know, our sitcoms do. All right? Here's some questions I want to ask. How did Abraham know it was God's voice? Did God have to repeat himself in any way? Did Abraham ask him to? Was Abraham horrified once he understood clearly? What does that kind of distress feel like? What does that kind of anguish feel like? What kind of monster is this God anyway? Why did Abraham get up early the next morning? Was he in a hurry? Did he want to get over with? Did he even sleep at all that night before? Did Abraham even think about telling Sarah? Why didn't he? Would there be any human words to help Sarah understand? What does that kind of loneliness feel like for Abraham? What was it like chopping wood the next morning? Did he chop the wood like a crazy man? Was he a crazy man? Would I have been a coward enough to stay home? Would God still bless me if I stayed home? Would God still keep his promise if I stayed home? Would I have considered turning back during the three days journey? Would I have rested on the way? Many, many times would I have rested on the way? Would I have conveniently forgotten the knife so as to delay the journey a little bit? Would I have talked much with Isaac along the way? Would I have held his hand along the way or kept my distance? Would I lay awake at night just looking at Isaac asleep? Would my heart have sunk deep into my stomach when I saw Moriah, the mountain? Would my heart have begun to race within my chest? Would my breathing have become labored and painful? Wasn't Abraham God's chosen? Would it not be better then were he not God's chosen? What does it mean to be God's chosen? God, if you want Isaac, why don't you do it yourself? Why not strike him with lightning or strike him with a uh, disease? Why do I have to do it? Right? I mean, this is just a handful of questions. You could, we could all come up with thousands of more questions that Abraham must have been wrestling with, and we have to wrestle with when we read this story. God, why, why do I have to do this? if you want isaac take him lightning disease animal whatever why do i have to act on this you must be a crazy god and again we don't know all the wrestling with abraham but the fact that he hears the command from god had some sense of the clarity of it not unlike the clarity that you and i could also experience from hearing god it's not like abraham had some special code that he knew for sure it was god but he knew for sure it was god and the same way that you and I can know for sure when God's calling us to take a major step, a leap, a risk, all right? So Abraham does this, and he knows it's God. I have, I, I, my guess is he didn't sleep at all that night. That's why he got up early. I'm just filling in the blanks, but I think that's a pretty reasonable way to think the story must have end, if it happened. Who knows if he slept at all the three nights of the journey? Go to the next slide here. Did a little scan of artwork on this uh, event. All right, this was Rembrandt. Uh, it's actually hanging in a uh, art museum in Amsterdam, and it's just a sketch. It's I. It's Abraham, Isaac. Isaac's got a bundle of wood, and you see in this kind of this kind of tender, kind of mentoring father talking to his son. Probably not even telling me what's going on, but you can tell there's kind of a connection there. And But yet they get this, this awkward wood stack in between them. Next picture, not getting out of the classic art. This is 1998, a guy named Bill Berg, who I saw nothing else on the internet by Bill Berg, but I love this one. It's called Abraham and Isaac. And, and, the, and the look of that father has to be somewhat of what Abraham felt like. Kind of this resignation, sadness, fear. And if you're a parent here at all, and you look at Abraham, or the, the modern day Abraham's slumped shoulders looking at his prized possession young boy, it's just like, hey, Isaac, we gotta go somewhere. We're taking off somewhere today. We're a dad, i we'll, will tell you later. Okay, this next one, back to the classical area, era. I love saying this, Caravaggio. All right, Italian guy. This hangs in Florence, Italy, four centuries ago. All right. I'm not real fond of the angel. <laughs> angels in the Bible says when somebody saw an angel, they were deathly afraid of them. I'm not sure why I'd be afraid of that person, but anyway, that's that's that that's that period of art. But you know what I'm saying? When they have the chumpy, chubby, fat angels that nobody would be afraid of. But anyway. Take that aside. Um, this, this picture captured me when I saw it. And what captured me was this. Go to the next slide. The face of, of Isaac with a knife right by his. I, I don't understand what's going on, Dad. And, and again, as a parent, I look at the face of Isaac, and I'm, you start feeling things you don't want to feel. You don't know what to do with it. Now, please understand, I know people say, well, you know, God must be a violent God, blah, 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 blah. How cruel of God. And even, even having a knife like that in a picture for us to look at is unsettling. Not unlike the knives of slitting the sheep's throat for Old Testament sacrifices or the bloodied body of jesus those are unsettling things and they should be and they are and there's a reason they're unsettling because it tells us something about us and about god and about the nature of sin and what's separating us from god so if you don't feel some kind of significant dissonance in your own soul and kind of like somebody punch in the stomach um that's part of our faith it has to be there's there's no easy answers with a lot of things and again it's one of these incredible paradoxes it's kind of a monster of a paradox that god is love this is the promise but somehow murder in this case looks like it's a good, going to become a holy act and again there's you know you could just discuss it more we're not going to now but it's it's uniquely different from any other religious culture because other the sacrifices in those cultures were other reasons and this one god makes it a point to remind abraham oh your son isaac the one you really love I mean, wouldn't it be better if God would just have Abraham to sacrifice himself? But why does he have to sacrifice his son? And you sit in these emotions. I I, uh, I read a book years ago. Uh, it's called Silence, and it's by a Japanese author named Shoshinko Endo. Anybody read that book? Small book. Um, and it's a true story, and I don't remember what century it or Based on true happenings, what century had happened years ago, where this Jap- this missionary to the Japanese people, this was again centuries ago, the Japanese people, um, the way they tried to get him to relent that he believed in Jesus was in the room right next to him. They tortured some of his own congregation in his hearing, and they said, "We'll stop if you just relent. We'll stop if you just relent." and i read that book and i thought that is not fair god to put somebody in that situation what's this guy supposed to do in other words it's it's not his pain and suffering we can endure that to some degree we can be heroic all of us can be that way to some degree but to endure the pain and suffering of another for the sake that you're a follower of jesus and a lover of god throws our hearts and emotions in a in a blender of emotions that Again, it's like one, throw the Bible across the room. I'm done. Let's find a different kind of Christianity. Let's find something a little more simple. Let's hallmark the Christianity because let's just finish the story. Let's just finish the story. You, you, know, you know how you hate movies that end in, a, end in a sad way? We want, you know, can't, you know, why did Jack Bauer have to have that happen? Or whatever movie you're talking about. I'm a 24 fan, so yeah. used to be. Not anymore. But you know what I'm saying? We, we want we want things to f- and again, I think we read this story. I, I think, have read this story many times, and, and we jump straight to what's next. And most of you know what's next. I'm not going to say it because if you don't know what's next, then deal with it for the next week. <laughs> Rest and but try for the next week not to know what's next. Those of you who know the story and have heard it hundreds of times. And try to walk in Abraham's shoes, sandals, for the next few days try to walk with him those three and a half days try to hang up try to sit with him overnight the first night when he heard and then the next morning he got ready to leave sit up with him and chat with him walk with him along the road with isaac and his two servants watch him try to sense what's going on in his heart and then figure out what it means for you and i to have the faith of abraham and what god might ask of us not because god loves pain and punishment and pain he's not a masochist but because god loves faith and god wanted to bless the nations the world the community to this man named abraham but god wanted the faith to be rock solid unadulterated nothing even close to an idol nearby because he wanted abraham to experience god and the joy of god and the blessing of blessing others in a way that would be incomparable to any other human experience. But he had to do it God's way. Had to. Next. Jesus says this in John 8 to, much of, to a group of Jewish people who were having this outspoken debate with Jesus. Oh, we're the children of Abraham. We're the children of Abraham. What do you mean we don't really have faith? And Jesus says, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the things that Abraham did. Well, okay. <laughs> I can leave something behind, leave my country, my family, take my family, or take my wife, my servants, all my money. I can, that's a stretch beyond comfort. Maybe even way beyond comfort, inconvenient, unknown. But what else did Abraham do? Well, he, he offered up his son as a sacrifice. I mean, what, how much closer to the center of your heart can you get? A son that he loved, a son that had been promised he waited for for 25 years. So when I think about God may be asking me to sacrifice a relationship. He may ask me to pull my wallet or my checkbook out and sacrifice some financial security. He may want me to sacrifice a future plan, a career idea. If I want to do what Abraham did, I, 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 those things, they're still huge to us, but they seem so small. But if you want to have the faith of Abraham and you want to do the things Abraham did, then those kind of asks that God, God makes of us, um, it will be the deciding points of your spiritual journey. Because usually God brings us to a point where we have two choices, choice A or choice B. Choice B is filled with discomfort, inconvenience, sometimes absurdity, irrationality, distress anguish pain and choice a is stay where you are in your own comfortable zone and we hit those points more than once in our lives sometimes it's a big fork in the road other times it's smaller things but when we hit those points we've got two choices Then you hit a point again you got two choices and more and more then you become the kind of person who has a capacity of faith in your heart in your spirit you become a large larger than life kind of person because you have absolute utmost unconditional trust in god and to say you trust jesus then becomes an incredibly deep meaningful life-giving joy-filled abundant kind of statement that's the kind of person i want to be it's the kind of person i think every one of you want to be we just wish god would do it differently Last thing from Hebrews chapter 2, which later in Hebrews trumps Abraham as being the kind of Hall of Fame first inductee, um, kind of thing. But the, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews writes this We all know that Jesus came to help the descendants of Abraham, us, right? Not the angels. Therefore, it was necessary for Jesus to be in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters so he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before god he then could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people since he himself has gone through suffering and temptation remember it says that god tempted abraham all right not tempted him to sin but tested his faith then jesus is able to help us when we are being tempted i mean god gave his only son jesus was that only son so there's nothing you're experiencing when you're wrestling with what God may be asking you to give up that Jesus doesn't know deeply and can't then, because his spirit within you, because you've been open to that, can't help you take that next step of the journey. I guarantee you, Abraham wasn't alone those three and a half days. There was an invisible reality, the spirit of God or whatever we know, God's presence that had to be going with him or Abraham would have been just nuts. Crazy man. We, we finish with uh, communion every week at Exodus, and uh, this verse on the screen is probably significant because I don't know how many of you are already in a, in a stretch or a leap of faith situation that God's asking you, or you're pondering something that you think, I think God's asking me to, ugh. and again, it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, violent kind of, tearings and rippings uh, that that you sense God may ask you to do, it has to be congruent with other things God's already said and and, and maybe talked about within a wiser circle of people. But for most of us, when we hear God, we know what it is. I mean, you know, mad people, I mean, clinically insane people might take things and make it kind of goofy. But because of those possibilities, doesn't mean we, we don't throw away the rest of the reality that God will ask us to do what seems like insane but godly things, all right? So we take communion because we we need the reminder. I need the reminder. You need the reminder that when I'm at those points of decision, I'm not alone. Not only is Jesus with me, but He's in me. His Spirit is in me. It's that close of a presence. It's that close of a friendship. So when we take the bread representing the body of Jesus, His His uh, broken body. When we take the bread. When we take the cup. It's Christ in me, Christ in me, Christ in me—the hope of glory. Christ in me, the grace and the courage to deal with periods of temptation when I have choice A and B, and B looks B look so hard. I'm not alone. All right, here's how we do it at Exodus. We'll, Lucas will come up and uh, lead us in a couple songs. You will uh, we'll offer you the bread, and then. Uh, off you the cup, and just dip in the cup. Don't try to drink. Dip your bread in the cup. Most people eat it here, Then they'll take it back to their seats. We don't dismiss my rows. so if you're new, you just come on up um, whenever you feel um, the leading to. In the side room over there where it says prayer, there are people there to pray for you about any needs you might have or anything. So, Lucas, come on up, and then I'll pray. And then, uh, Jordan, can you go back, just while I'm praying, can you go back to the, the uh, picture of Isaac's face, please? God, um, we need Jesus. Um, We don't need him like we need a good luck charm. We don't need him like we need um, an extra dessert. Uh, We need him like we need our next breath of air. Because we do want to be the kind of people who are fully alive for you, fully engaged in your life, full of the joy that you promise us when we follow you. Um, That's the kind of people we want to be. Let me do this. Uh-